Thought Bubble Audio. It's the Everwood Pinecast, Everwood's only independent weekly podcast. I'm Kirsty. And I'm Kelsey. I wasn't there the first time Kelsey watched Everwood and her life changed forever. But I've seen it enough times to be able to podcast about it. Welcome to the Everwood Pinecast. So this episode, we are talking about episodes 8, 9, 10, and 11. That's right, folks. We're coming in with four. Four. It's a big one. Episode 8, Till Death Do Us Part. Episode 9, Turf Wars. Episode 10, Is There a Doctor in the House? And episode 11, A Thanksgiving Tale. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) It's meaty. It's a meaty chunk of episodes. It's like a meaty chunk of regular old episodes. Yeah, I think... It's interesting watching the show for the first time as someone who's who mostly experiences television in a time of peak TV. Like, I didn't watch a ton of TV in this time. Yeah. So, you know, I, my expectations are more dialed into the modern television landscape where, like, shows get what they get, and it's based on storyline. So you don't have so much of this dead weight between... Like the mid-season peak and sweeps, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really where, like, we're in in the doldrums a little bit here. Yeah, we are. Yeah, there's a lot of time to kill when you've got a 22 episode order. Oh yeah, so much time. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about how the show like comes in strong, knowing exactly who it is, and I don't want to say this is like the chunk where the show is faltering. But it's sort of like wallowing in who it is a little bit. It's like really exploring the baseline of who it is. Yeah. yeah. And I think like Kirsty and I both enjoy the times when shows that have like a universe that we like just like spends time. Yeah. Doing regular old things. And I think there is some charm in some of these episodes just being very like this is just a regular day in Everwood. Here we go. Yeah, it's like Greg Berlanti got to play in sandbox mode. Yeah. For a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to Do you want to kick us off with like episode 8 or do you want to talk about some overarching? Well, you're our topics. syllabus creator, so why don't you tell me? Mm, I built this particular set of episodes based on the fact that I knew they were all filler. <laughs> okay that makes me feel so much better because when i was building the outline and i was like trying to tie together all the threads like there are a couple things that make sense but i felt like i was reaching to find the connections between these four in ways that i didn't feel in our last two episodes so that makes me feel validated it's not that i'm bad at finding themes it's that there was only so much here to work with I'm making a linear syllabus. There's only so many possible combinations of episodes we can have. That's fair. That's fair. All right. So episode eight, Till Death Do Us Part. This episode is all about marriage. That's like the red thread. Yep. So Doc Brown has a patient who is the town's reverend. 
and the reverend is having a weird allergic reaction to something. Yep. And all that Doc Brown can find out is that it's somehow related to the reverend and his wife and their relationship, and he can't narrow down why. It's also Doc Brown's anniversary, his first anniversary since his wife died. Yep. So he's feeling some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And Ephraim, Ephraim's journey in this episode is trying to figure out how to support his father through these feelings. Yep. Ephraim is also having relationship feelings of his own, and Amy is having relationship feelings, and that all happens at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, is this the episode where Dr. Abbott and his wife have drama? Uh, when they're doing salsa? Yes. Lessons? Yeah. Yeah. So the core of the issues is that everyone's relationships are changing, right? Yeah. And Dr. Brown is the only one in the web of characters who has like perspective on what everyone is taking for granted Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's like the emotional core look at you yeah i mean this this episode is like the most nothing i think of the four yep so i don't think we have to like linger on this for too too long but the other major plot point is that colin finally wakes up yeah and Amy goes to see him for the first time, and he doesn't recognize her, and she has some trauma. <laughs> with I that feel experience. like the main thing between these four episodes thematically is the idea that like relationships evolve over time, mm-hmm. and I think that mostly gets played out through Amy and Colin and Amy's expectations. Yeah, I think as we were talking about our outline for this, I think like expectations versus reality is also a huge red thread through this entire section yeah because she's expecting that colin's just gonna wake up and it's all gonna pick back up where they left off yeah and even like in terms of the tertiary characters like rose is expecting that she'll just drop this like fun new hobby on dr abbott and even though she's known him forever he'll just be okay with it and andy thinks that since he solves the mystery of the allergy the that will solve the marriage between the reverend and his wife. He can just keep people from getting divorced because of his genius smarts. Yeah. But that is not the case. We do get gifted the absolutely incredible scene where Dr. Abbott is learning salsa from a CD-ROM. Yeah. In his office, and his nurse walks in and is like, uh, I forgot why I even came in here. Like, she's so rattled by the whole thing, and it's hilarious. <laughs> that was sad to me because I felt like he was gonna try. He was gonna try real, real hard, and then his nurse, like, embarrassed him. And he was willing to, like, throw away, like, an entire shot at being, like, a decent husband. <laughs> I don't think he's not a decent husband. He's a good husband, but like But for the comedy It was it very was funny. Good. It was very like, funny. I if I walked in on anyone at work doing that <laughs> my God. He constantly gets like very good physical comedy bits. He's just an incredible gift. <laughs> he really is. 
<laughs> and his like red thread over the next few episodes is that it's all going to be about his insecurity. Yeah. He's one of the few things about these four episodes that's in any way consistent. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I think it was like the best use of the time we had with him because I think they kind of <sighs> they kind of wallowed in it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But it is consistent. It is consistent. Do we want to talk about, like, Ephraim and his compulsion to be his father's wife? (laughs) I think we do. I put it in the outline at some point to talk about bad parenting choices and, like, toxic parenting. (laughs) Yeah, and I think this portion, before we get to, like, episode 10-11, is more just... Yeah. This portion is, like, Ephraim feeling responsible for making sure his dad isn't lonely. But there were at least two monologues in the last two episodes we we recorded, podcast episodes, where Andy insinuated that Ephraim should feel that way. Yes. Yeah. Like, no, it's not wrong. But, like, Ephraim's finally coming around to his dad's to his dad, like, being a person that he cares about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think at the same time, so he's, like, trying to work through that, and he's like, I don't know, and then he gives him an anniversary present that he says is from Delia, but Delia's like, what's that? I've never seen it before, and, like, totally blows his cover. But it's like, Andy's starting to understand that his kid actually likes him at all. It's interesting to me that the show is, and maybe I'm just misreading it, and maybe, like, the view of this will be different as time goes on, but my read on it is that the show is upholding Andy Brown as only being a little bit broken as a human, but otherwise being mostly perfect. But even, like, the way in which he is discovering that Ephraim cares about him is still pretty narcissistic. It is. Like, it's all Andrew Brown's world, and we're all just living in it. The great Dr. Brown. Yeah. And so, I I mean, I guess maybe, maybe it's just me misreading. Like, does the show know he's a narcissist? That I'm not sure about, because they for sure know that Dr. Abbott is. Yeah. And I would argue that compared to Doc Brown, he's, like, if you had to rank him, I think Doc Brown's more of a narcissist than Dr. Abbott. Yeah, you might be right. I think... Dr. Abbott is self-centered, but I don't think mm-hmm. he's necessarily a narcissist. Specifically, I think you can tell because of the way they regard their children. Yeah. Like, Dr. Abbott seems to believe that his children have agency and are at least somewhat independent beings with thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And Andy is like, I don't understand my relationship with my son unless he loves me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is true. (laughs) I mean, that's a good segue into our next episode, I think, which is headlined by a visit from the grandparents, which are Julia's parents. And they sort of show up unannounced at their house, already in the house, so lock your doors. (laughs) And um, Andy is sort of like, taken by surprise and doesn't feel prepared to like show off his good parenting skills at that moment in time. And it becomes more clear that 
the grandparents are sort of going there to like check up on things. So that's like the big storyline. There's also a an issue of the week, which is Andy's patient is a there's an overweight man who won't agree to gastric bypass, and that's like a whole thing that he keeps like trying to reckon with because he keeps trying to solve the problem and the problem is something he can't fix. <laughs> But going back to the grandparents, there's a lot of, like, awkward parenting combative argument time. (laughs) Between, specifically between the grandpa and Andy and Ephraim. It's a very, like, gender split situation. Like, grandma takes Delia and she is very upset that Delia is not, like, a perfect little young lady and she wears baseball hats. Uh, <laughs> and then she teams up with Edna, and they sort of go head-to-head, and that's that little group of three. And then in the men's side of things, <laughs> we have Andy and Jacob and Ephraim, and they all, like... It's awkward. It's like he's trying to like show he's a good dad, and then Jacob's like, but I'm the fun grandpa. And Ephraim's like, I don't know why this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like it. I mean, this takes two episodes to resolve, which yes. is long. It's a long time we spend in this limbo. Yeah. But the TLDR is that Grandpa basically offers Ephraim an opportunity to go back to New York. Yeah. Without talking to Andy about it. <laughs> uh, basically, what it amounts to is, like, the grandparents are sad that their daughter died, so they're just gonna come and take the kids. Yeah. To, like, fill the empty hole in their lives. Yeah. Which is tough. That's... Yeah, that's not how that works. Sure isn't. There's some laws <laughs> against that, I think. <laughs> yeah, that that's a tough one. And once again, we're, like, placing Ephraim in this position of, like, having to have an amount of frontal lobe function that a a person of his age just shouldn't have to have because like i feel like even though he's like a main character i haven't figured out how to articulate this yet and i don't know if i ever will but like even though he's like a main character like the show doesn't ever totally give him agency he's just always ping-ponging between like the desires of everybody else like he's a prop in Andy trying to find himself as a father and a person and he's a prop in amy trying to find herself as a woman coming of age and a girlfriend to a dude in a coma. And um, he's now he's in this situation. He's a prop between his grandparents and Andy. So he's like the proxy for their tension to play out, but also the proxy for everybody's grief to play out. And like in the middle of it all, there's just like Ephraim. Yeah, he does. He gets the shortest stick. I think in this group of people that we experience in everyone. I guess at least in the Brown family. Like, he gets stuck having to raise his sister. Yep. <laughs> and deal with the drama of his dad being having a crisis. Literally like, having to constantly play wife to his dad. Yeah. As well as just being, like, an awkward high school student yeah like a sad little emo boy who's also like going through his own 
puberty adventures. I commend Everwood for really, like, nailing the emo boy in the suburbs vibe, though, because it's, like, when you go to shows that are, like, your One Tree Hill, the emo person is, like, so emo. It's, like, not normal. Not not even normal. Not realistic. (laughs) Yeah. Not believable. But this feels, like, so right. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ephraim was the kind of, like, he was a couple notches more than me, but, like, the kind of emo kid that I was, which is, like, I want to be emo in my soul, but it's, like, I can't get away with it in the household I'm growing up in. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, I think over time he'll get more agency. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) One might hope. But I think it's a long road ahead for this dynamic. I feel like in these two episodes where the grandparents are there, there's a lot of this, like, like, he almost felt like a puppy to me where it would be like, Andy would be there and he would have reactionary energy and then the grandfather would be there and he would be, like, smiling and just do what he was told. And that's all he gets is, like, you're one way with this person, one way with another person and there's no reason to it. Other than whatever it is these two old men are fighting about. Right. On the flip side, he gets to go to his first kegger. <laughs> I, I said this to you in passing, and I still have questions about it, but why is Dr. Abbott so open and okay with his kids going to keggers? This is like the third time this season that he's acknowledged that his kids do underage drinking. I also have questions about this because it doesn't fit his personality. Mm-hmm. I can almost understand him letting Bright go because it seems like he's sort of been like, whatever, you're not owning up to your potential, so so I give up on you. Like, you're just a football player, so whatever. Yeah, he's very precious about Amy, so it's wild that he lets her go, but I think in this circumstance, I could see it being like, she's sad, and this will make her happier, so maybe it's okay. I don't know. And I don't know if there's something to, like, you're in a small town and you know everyone and you don't think anything bad will happen. Which is obviously not true, but... <laughs> yeah, because they all get arrested. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I the only And also, you would think after Colin was in a coma with a DUI... Right. That... It would be like... And then you find out it's your son, and then you're like, go to another kegger. It's yeah, go, just go hang out at more keggers. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, there's some continuity issues here. I The only thing I could think of uh, is that they're trying to use the Abbott household as, like, this pinnacle of suburban perfection. So, like, Dr. Abbott is a certain kind of perfect person... And Amy is a certain kind of perfect person, and Bright is a certain kind of perfect person. And as part of all of that imagery, you have to go to keggers, because that's what's, like, cool to do in high school. I think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken from two people who did not go to keggers. I still don't totally understand how keggers work. Yeah, I don't either, but this scene had the exact vibe of the kegger on Schitt's Creek in season yes. one, which makes me think that there's something there. I mean, there it is the vibe that about. I always imagined when the lacrosse team would talk about their keggers, because, like, the mm. lacrosse kids and the theater kids and the cross-country kids would always have keggers together. My high school okay. was weird. We didn't okay. have real football, so... Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Anyway, same vibe. So I do think they're nailing it, whatever it is. Hmm. We should also mention that Amy got booted from the hospital. Yes, Amy is spending too much time at the hospital, and she's stressing everybody out. And so the hearts tell her that she can't hang out there anymore. I do feel like this in the last episode, this particular storyline feels very right to me if yes. we're talking about 16-year-olds. <laughs> yes, I think that's fair. I could, I have a lot of questions about why the show portrays the hearts as putting up with her for as long as they did. Yeah. But she's out now, so she's mad about that and upset yeah. about it. And then she she tells Ephraim at the party to move on. Yep. Which is the important thing to know. And then Ephraim gets, like, not arrested, but taken home by the cops. Yep. <laughs> and then Andy has to do more parenting. This also sets off another round of waffling between Ephraim and Amy that just, like, drove me crazy. And the biggest reason it drove me crazy is because in episode three or four, maybe, Mm -hmm. there's that moment where they have a conversation in the hallway where they're like, let's just agree that we're just sorry forever, basically. Yeah. Because they get tired of fighting with each other all the time. Yeah. And so this was one of those moments where it was like, so you're just gonna, like, fight with each other forever? Like, still... We're still on this. Yeah. <laughs> well, they won't they. <laughs> ah, it's too much. I have never I've never been able to handle a will they won't they. And this one is too much. This is a slow, 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 slow burn. So slow. I wish I could tell you how slow, but I can't yet. <sighs> the biggest problem is that they do it every episode. Like, we don't have to waffle every episode. Things are going to get interesting. Don't worry. If you say so. It's going to get better. We're getting we're getting to some narrative some stuff. Don't some worry. Stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, next episode, do you want to take it? Yes. Yeah, so, episode 10, Delia decides to <laughs> <laughs> throw a birthday party for Edna. Yeah. For reasons. Yeah. Edna's like storming around town and everyone's afraid of her because everyone knows she hates her birthday. So Delia and her grandmother decide to throw a big, fancy New York-style party. Yep. So they invite the entire town over to the house to throw this party for Edna. And then this massive snowstorm moves in and everybody gets trapped in the house and hijinks ensue. Yes. And a big hijinks is that Bright comes down with appendicitis. Whoops. And at the beginning, everybody's like, it's fine. He'll be fine. We'll get him out in the morning and it's fine. But then in the middle of the night, his appendix bursts. And so that's a thing we have to deal with. Yep. Um, Dr. Brown is still trying to figure out what to do about the fact that Ephraim seems very serious about going to New York. Yep. Because he's trying to do the right thing. Ugh. And like doesn't know what that means. And so Nina has to give him, like, 400 monologues about how to be a parent. Nina tells it like it is. She does, but why does it, like, why did she have to do it, like, six times before Andy was like, oh, I know what you mean. I don't know. <laughs> um, it, this was a good episode for Nina, though, who they consistently don't give her enough to do. 
Yeah. I have a question for you, though, about that, which I know that you can't comment on one way or another, but, like, are they going to give her more to do? Mm -hmm. I know one thing that's going to happen early in season two, but post that event. Yeah. She will become more prominent. Like, she kind of, like, comes in and out of the picture, I think. Okay. But as I've been building out, like, my notes for this first half of the season, I've been surprised at how little there's been to say about her. so little. And how much of that is going to be romantic tension? Mm, Probably not as much as you may think. Okay. That's good news. That's positive news, I would say. Yeah. She gets some good stuff in this one and the next one. I think they're starting to feel out, like, what exactly her character is. I think they have some identity issues of, like, they're not really sure. Gotcha. What to do with her yet, but we'll get more of her soon. So this is a big episode for, like, dads having to be dads. And for just, like, people in general having to be vulnerable. Like, this is a big episode where Edna has to have feelings, which she's not comfortable with. Yeah. And it's an episode where Dr. Abbott has no control and has to, like, just sit back and be a dad. Yeah. And where Dr. Brown has to have a heart-to-heart with his son. In public. In public and be a dad. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just lots of people being dads, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the end, Andy basically convinces Ephraim to stay in Everwood. Yeah. He guilt trips him into staying. Yes. This was the episode that made me put that thing about the toxic parenting in my notes. Yeah. Because he gives Ephraim a speech where he says something like... um, like, I can't live without you, or it's not, maybe it's not quite that, but it's, like, something like that. It's about how Ephraim is the only one who makes him think that yes. things are going to be okay. Yes, yes. Which is a lot to lay on a 16-year-old. Yes. And not even, like, I mean, I I still think this is kind of a lot, but not even, like, the way some parents talk about parenting, where it's, like, you give me a reason for living, basically, but more, like, because he gives this whole speech about how... In the weeks after his wife died, Ephraim said to him one day, it's all going to be okay. And that was the first time he felt like it was going to be okay. And it's like, yo, that is He's like, I was just searching for a reason not to die. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa! Save that for your therapist! Who is not your son? (laughs) Nope, sure is not. Where's Dr. Trot? (laughs) No kidding. Get her back. Yikes. Yikes, yikes, yeah. yikes. Yeah. Can we talk about the snowstorm for a minute? Yes, please. Okay, so you and I both live in New England. We yes. know a little bit about snowstorms. Yes. You probably more than I because you're further north. Yeah. Doesn't matter. The point is, we know when there's a snowstorm coming. Yes. And even, this was 2002, y'all. Like, this was, we we had that technology back then, too. Yeah, and, like, we usually, like, you'd cancel plans. Yes. If you knew a big snowstorm was coming into town. Yes. Or you'd start going home early if you noticed the snow was piling up. 
Right. Like, that's what I was going to say is even if it was because you occasionally like get more snow than is forecast. Yeah. But it's not hard to look out the window and be like, wow, 20 minutes ago, there was not this much snow on the ground. Maybe we should get going. Yeah, like you leave work early and go home, like regularly. (laughs) Yep. I don't know why the requirement is that people have enough stuff to support like 30 people in their house overnight. Yeah, Nina's like, your emergency supply kit, the milk, the bread, the blankets, the pillows. Like, I'm not out there buying extra milk to make sure 15 people can stay in my house every time it snows. No. I mean, I can understand having some provisions, but I don't invite people over for snowstorms, generally. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's like... So the assumption is that everyone is staying at the Browns' house. Yes. Except for Dr. Brown and a couple people who have to go do the emergency appendectomy. Sure. Sure. So there's still, like, 25 people in the house. And one of them is the only person in town with a plow. Yeah. Which they just gloss right over. Yeah. And there's several sequences, like, over the course of that night, mostly with... Amy and Ephraim and Delia, where they're like having conversations and there's no one to be seen in the house. <laughs> Where'd they go? It's not that big there's, of a house. There's a scene, I think it's in the morning when Doc Brown gets back from the emergency appendectomy and Ephraim's like putting away dishes and Andy's like, So what happened? And Ephraim's like, Well, everyone's asleep all over the house. And yeah. It's like, but- are they? Because it seems awful quiet around there right now. Yeah. It's just, like, <laughs> incredibly quaint and glossed over, which is the only way to do it, I yeah, guess. that's true. I don't fault them. I think it's kind of fun, but also, like, what are you doing? <laughs> I think, like, they are always looking for new ways to remind you that Andy is both not from here and also in some way inadequate. Yeah. And they were like, well, what's a way to use snow to our advantage? Yeah. And this was all they had. Also, Delia has a crush on Bright. Yeah, this is used as, like, her sexual awakening? Yeah. In, uh, I mean, you know, obviously, better than I do, because you've seen the show, if this is going to be... A plot device at any stage. Delia and Bright have an ongoing friendship. But why did they have to make it like a girl crush? Is They move away from that. Okay. If I recall correctly. Is it just another instance of them not knowing how to write children? It's that. It's like they think it's cute. They're trying to use it to show Bright as, like, a nice person. Okay. It's not... It's It's not about Delia, it's about Bright. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is gross and unnecessary. So, yeah. Moving on. We ready? Yeah. Go for it. So, the Thanksgiving tale, the only episode that I know of that has a title slide... (laughs) This is the episode, I think you said this about episode nine, but this is the episode that I understood the least as an episode of television that was produced and paid for. (laughs) 
Yeah, this episode is the one where there's like a Christmas carol yes. narrative about Dr. Abbott. Yes. Having a moral reckoning about his standing in the town and as a human being. Yes. Because he has a minor health scare. Yes. And it's on brand for him and then just a, in a beautiful way. But also why? But also, <laughs> there's a lot of time spent on a legend about a recluse in the woods. <laughs> yes. There's like one guy who decided to live in the woods and they were like, let's run with it. Yeah, I feel like they were, like, looking at the last few episodes, and they were like, this is kind of quaint, but in, like, a Gilmore Girls way. Let's make it quaint in the Colorado way. Let's add a bear and a recluse. <laughs> Let's add a bear. <laughs> the last couple of episodes have not had so much patient stuff. I guess really just the last one. Hmm. But I never felt like, like, I... <sighs> In episode eight, the patients are a prop for marriage. And in episode nine, the patient is a prop for Andy discovering that he should be a parent. And in episode 10, Bright is a prop for Dr. Abbott to be a good parent and to remind everybody that his redeeming quality is being a good parent. Yeah. I don't understand what what this patient's role was. I think that's fair. I mean, everything is ultimately an allegory for the fact that Dr. Brown is lonely and lost in this world. Yeah. But aside from that, I couldn't tell what they were doing with him. I mean, over and over again, we keep seeing him, like, going the extra mile for the patients to try and, like, get them the solution they need. So whether it's, like, finding the funding for the guy's gastric bypass or... Figuring out the mystery for the allergy. This is another one of, like, tracking down his long-lost brother who's, like, distanced himself from the family for reasons to get him a kidney. Beyond that, no, I don't know. Because they didn't, I mean, he tracks him down, but he, like, walks into the woods. He didn't have to sacrifice anything to do it. Usually when it's, like, the great Dr. Brown achieves a goal. Yeah. It's, like at some expense to his family, right. which there wasn't in this right. episode. Right. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I actually, like, despise this episode because of the recluse storyline, because I just hate it. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? And it's unfortunate because the Doc Abbott stuff is so fun. <laughs> it is very good. The bear feels like it's trying to be the deer from the deer episode. Yeah, but I also, I mean, I don't know what they wanted the bear to be, either. Yeah, the bear was like, oh, it's scary, but it's low-key domesticated. And also somehow like a metaphor for the guy's wife. Or something. I, it's very confusing. I think what we're taking away from this is, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Doc Abbott stuff is really the point here. Yeah, so let's talk about Doc Abbott for a second. Yeah. So he has this health scare and then has a dream that no one comes to his funeral. So he invites the whole town to Thanksgiving at his home. And this is where I really... 
really, really wanted his wife to start having a role that she just doesn't have yet. Because what I always think of in these circumstances in real life and on TV is the episode of Friday Night Lights where the coach invites the whole team over for a barbecue with, like, no notice of telling his wife. And she gets so rightfully pissed at him Mm -hmm. for doing this without asking her, without considering her, without considering how much work it is. And there's a scene where they're, like, in the middle of the party, and she's, like, underneath a table trying to, like, clean up a spill or something, and he goes under the table, and he's like, why are you mad at me? And she's like, why do you think I'm mad at you? (laughs) Yeah, the only, like, glimmer of that you get is when he kicks everybody out of the house. She goes, oh, Harold, and, like, leaves the room. Yeah, like, she doesn't get her due, and I just want that for her, because who who among us... (laughs) True that. It validates her monologue in the salsa dancing episode where she's like, I wash all your stuff. I cook all your food. Yep. This is my free time. I give up just because I like you. And now here we are three episodes later and he's like forcing her to cook Thanksgiving for the town. Right. So he has everyone come over and then halfway through the dinner, he finds out that it was like a lab error. And he is perfectly healthy, and he just kicks everyone out, and it's so on brand and so incredible. It's funny because it's the culmination of four episodes about his insecurity, Mm -hmm. because he starts off, like, feeling insecure about how his wife feels about him. And then in episode nine, he's insecure about something. Doesn't even matter. And then last episode was, like... Also kind of about his feelings of his standing in the town and in his family. Like, that that's ultimately the core of everything, isn't it? Yeah. And so this is him, like, I guess at rock bottom for this chunk. Yeah. Because it'll come back. Being like, ooh, nobody likes me. And then just being like, well, that's fine, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, as this I said... Is, I like things the way they are. I Exactly. I said this to you, but it seems like time and time again, the show is like, we're going to take an opportunity to explore Harold's faults and how he feels about being his authentic self and what sacrifices come with that. And then the show takes like three steps in exploring it. And it's like, actually, just kidding. He's perfect. Just kidding. Never mind. (laughs) Just kidding. Everybody loves him the way he is. Yeah. He's standing in his truth, and we think that's great. (laughs) Yeah. He does give Amy some good advice at the end of this episode, because she's been, like, toying with Ephraim in the way that she does, where she's, like, confused about her feelings about for him and for Colin, and he shows up to give her a mixtape, which we need to come back to, but... um, (laughs) She, like, hides when he shows up, and she doesn't want to talk to him, and then he's like, you need to stop playing with his feelings and be an adult. (laughs) Yep. A little bit about this. But I go back to the mixtape, because I do want to point out I did a little bit of research for this episode. And this came out in 2002, as we recall. So, some musical notes from 2002. Oh, God. Some album releases from this time. Coldplay, The Scientist, Good Charlotte, 
the one album that they put out. Um, Did they only Jason put out Raz's one? one album that he put out? <laughs> the one, I say the one, the one that people know. Okay. <laughs> Top 40 songs for this week include Lose Yourself by Eminem. Oh, God. A Moment Like This mm. by Kelly Clarkson and Skater Boy by Avril Oh my god. <laughs> so that's just a time and place that we were in. I'm having a moment because what, I, <laughs> what I'm thinking about is I'm watching the show now 20 years removed from the events of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like... 2002 sure was a long time ago but then when you say the list of songs out loud like i was there we were very contemporary to the ephraim and amy we narrative were the and that's important to keep in mind <laughs> we were in the target demo yeah and i just went on a journey kirstie went on a journey so while kirstie's going on a journey i'm going to talk about the other plot point in this episode which yeah. is Delia having a lot of feelings about Thanksgiving. Yes. She desperately wants it to be like her mom's Thanksgiving, which Ephraim valiantly tries to replicate. Because Ephraim is trying to be mom. Yeah. And Andy's, like, uncharacteristically distant from this whole thing. Yeah. Like, he just kind of takes himself out, which seems weird I feel like they wanted to center the episode on the Dr. Abbott stuff, and they didn't know how to balance both at the same time. So they were just like, go play in the woods. Yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> that's fine for me. But, um, yeah, she basically ends up being disappointed anyway, because obviously it's like her mom isn't there. So it can't be exactly like it was. And Nina has a really good moment of being a standard mom for her. At the end, and telling her, like, that it's okay that she's sad, and that this... It, she basically tells her all the things that Andy has not thought to say, and Ephraim probably isn't mature enough to figure out how to say. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Did I miss anything? No. I guess the other red thread that this sums up is that these episodes are all also sort of about a big messy mix of grief and nostalgia. Yeah. It's like all of the things you've lost, like that part of grief. Yep. And that's what Delia is sort of serving as the conduit for in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the only, like, real issue of the week we got was obesity. Everything else was sort of like... Just character-driven stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I guess it was probably time, based on the last, like, eight episodes, for them to take a break from <laughs> issue of the week stuff. Yeah, but don't worry, because we're going to come back, like, firing on all cylinders. Yep. <laughs> yep. Should I preview our next set of episodes? Are we ready? Sure. Okay, so next time we are going to watch episodes 12, 13, 14, and 15. So another four episode chonk. And. Chonky. Chonky, chonky. Um, highlights include marijuana and Ritalin. <laughs> also, community theater. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get the return of Colin. Yep. Spoilers. The introduction to Nina's husband. 
and the introduction of Colin's sister, who was conveniently never spoken of until that this moment. set of episodes. <laughs> so, yeah, lots to look forward to, I think. Lots about to happen. Yeah. Um, do we want to start with Bravos or Pinecones? Uh, Bravos. All right, go for it. Okay, mine is basically all of Edna's petty stuff against Delia's grandma. Yes. And I don't know if I'm stepping on your turf here, but I have two particular lines that I've tied here up in my Bravo. Excellent. From the same sequence, but one of them was... Edna saying, you must be Delia's great-grandmother. That was great. (laughs) Which is incredible. (laughs) And then, I think after she meets her, she's talking about people like Delia's grandma. And she's like, oh yeah, I knew this woman in Nob. And she was good at medical stuff. And then she would bake cookies for everyone. She just goes, bitch. I love that. There's also the line where she says, like, I would watch yourself, my memory is long, and I'm petty. Yep. And I was like, I just want to put that on a sandwich board and wear it around town. Yep. <laughs> so, Edna definitely gets my bravo. That's great. So, my bravo actually goes to a moment that confused me. Yeah. Um, because, mostly because it mimics my feelings for a fair number of the videos that Treat Williams retweets this promo too. <laughs> Where it's like, I think this was intended to convey something to me, and I'm just not sure what it was. Mm-hmm. And that is the moment when the grandmother is setting the table with Ephraim. Yeah. And she tells him the story of the time that Julia brings Andy home to meet them. Yep. And the story is all about how they go shot for shot and are trying to drink each other under the table and they're both stubborn and neither one wants to give in. And in the end, because of their stubbornness, Andy never officially asks for his blessing and he never gives it. And we're just supposed to assume that they like sort of reached a truce because they understood each other's masculinity or something unclear. But there's an exchange between her and Ephraim that I wish I'd written down. But to paraphrase, she says something about how Andy, like, refused to lose. And Ephraim asks a clarifying question about it. And she says, he didn't know how. And it's intended (laughs) to, like, be this really deep thing about, like, Andy's grit. Yeah. And it really feels like Bravo. <laughs> As an aside, hey men, <laughs> being possessive about your daughters is weird. It's Please stop. Super, super weird. Yeah, there's that scene where the grandfather says to Andy, You took so much from me. Mm-hmm. And it's like <laughs> I'm making a really weird, cringy face at Kelsey right now. You guys are missing it. But it's like... (laughs) Did he? Did he? Did he? Or did Julia make choices? (laughs) Unclear. Yeah, like the implication here that 
dad never gave his permission, so he's still now trying to take the kids back. It's yep. really gross, and I don't like it. There's an equally gross bit, not to dwell, but um, <laughs> where the grandfather <laughs> is like, Ephraim and I understand each other, and it's basically like, we've had some cool chats, and I miss my daughter, so Ephraim's gonna come back to New York City because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I like chatting with your teenage son, so he's gonna come live with me. Also, by all accounts, like, why does Ephraim like chatting with his grandpa if he hates everyone else? It's not very emo. No. Get on brand. Get on brand, Ephraim. Oh, man. So okay, that's but pine cones. Pine cone time. So, we have ten, right? Yeah. It's harder to split them when there's four. Yeah, it's not an even divide. Um, I think I'm going to give... I'm going to split them five and five between episodes nine and ten. Ooh. And I'm going this way because of the Edna stuff, which I don't, I didn't spend as much time on the Edna stuff as I wanted to based on what I wrote in the outline. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm conflicted because on one hand, I don't feel like I totally understand what they were trying to do with Edna in all of this, yeah. except slot her into where they had holes that other characters couldn't fill. Mm-hmm. So, like, in episode nine, she's really only there because, as you said, they had to gender split. And if they don't slot her in with the grandmother, there's nobody to fight with the grandmother. Right. And I think there's, like, lots of little bits that they use her in in these four, where it's basically like, we don't have any other character to do this, so here comes Edna. Yeah. But I think within that, they give her some interesting stuff because it's all about her rediscovering her relationship with Dr. Abbott and rediscovering her relationship with Bright and having to do a lot of cover for Dr. Brown. And, like, Mm -hmm. she has to express a lot of vulnerability because she has to... It's She has to be vulnerable in defending Dr. Brown, but then she also has to actually, like, open up and give herself a little bit to Dr. Abbott and Bright. Mm -hmm. And she has her own notions about, like masculinity and emotional availableness challenged. Yeah. And, like, they didn't have to. She wasn't necessary to any of these stories, so they didn't have to find time to also be like, oh, and by the way, we're going to break down some of Edna's walls. Yeah. But they did it anyway, so there you go. Also, honorable mention to Irv, who in multiple episodes is just there to be like, yes, we will attend this social outing that my wife doesn't want to go to. <laughs> yes. I love him so much. I know. So I split a little more generously, but I have regrets about it, but I'm going to stick with it. Okay. So I did two and two for eight and 11 and three and three for nine and 10. Okay. I gave the eight and 11 points at all because of Doc Abbott stuff. Yes. Because I think it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's all the justification I need. What if the end result of all of this is that Doc Abbott accidentally becomes your dad? (laughs) 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 I mean, will I be mad to have a billboard dad? I feel, like, spiritually aligned to Doc Abbott in a way that I didn't feel when I was 15, I'll tell you that. I've had that thought so many times, but I didn't know how you related to him, so that is funny. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. We've got a lot of time to spend with him. Yeah. 
that was those two. Why'd you give the three to the other ones? Because they're better episodes. Oh, okay. Better content. Gotcha. All around high performers compared to <laughs> eight and eleven. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any parting thoughts? Or are we? No, I think that's it. Next time we're gonna dive into some stuff. Some stuff. Some I'm real so stuff. I'm scared. Honestly, this was like a breather after. Mm-hmm. It, it you know there's like the initial sprint of like hello we're a new show and this was yeah. like the first moment that we had to like breathe within the show and yeah. now i feel like we're about to get hit with round two well yeah we're ramping up we're on we're past 10 so we're ramping up to act two of this yep. season yep which is a long road what I'll say about the end of season one is that I actually thought I had watched way more of season two than I actually had. Nope. Just because. <laughs> just yeah. because. I'm shocked some things come up in season one that I could have sworn were season two. Uh-huh. So, Yeah. Lots of ground to cover. Lots to happen. And on that note. Yeah, we will see you again in Everwood soon. Bye. Bye. This has been the Everwood Pinecast. You can find us at Everwoodcast on Twitter, at our website, everwoodpinecast.com, or our email, everwoodpinecast at gmail.com. If you like the show, you should rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps citizens of Everwood find the show. We have another podcast, Hate Watch With Us, which you can find as well as podcasts about other CW programming and more on the Thought Bubble Audio Network. You can find their shows at Thought Bubble FM on Twitter, thoughtbubbleaudio.com, and thoughtbubbleaudio at gmail.com. They also have a Patreon if you want to support our shows. Thanks for listening.